0: Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm a partner at Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. And today we bring to you Real Estate for Breakfast. We have a fantastic guest. We have Bob Wislow, Parkside Realty. And Bob and Parkside have just delivered the first building called Fulton East post-COVID. And it's getting a lot of national press. There's an article in Forbes. uh, I believe it's going to be on the national news coming up. It's just getting a lot of press far and wide for all the technological advancements that they've been able to institute with this new building, um, including you can use your feet to go up the elevator. It's pretty unbelievable. And Bob's just a fantastic guest and a fantastic guy to talk to. When we start the podcast, he does a great job of laying out his background. But if you don't know Bob Wislow, he started LaSalle Partners back in the seventies, which is now jones lang Lasalle he started u s equities uh which later which built a ton of stuff in in the United States and in Brazil and in other countries and then he uh, and then also he was the chairman of c b r e in Chicago for five years. I mean his resume it, it doesn't get much better than than Bob Wislow. And he's really just, it was amazing that he was able to give us an hour of his time so we could talk to him about his career and about this new development Fulton East project. I'm super excited about this episode. I think you will be too. And so if you all want to get in touch with me, feel free to contact me at philip.couver at icemiller.com. We're always looking for guests and ideas. Uh, Please like the podcast, please subscribe, and um, thank you very much. I think you're going to enjoy this episode, so I'm just going to get right to it. Enjoy. Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group, and the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a commercial real estate podcast that's national in focus. But today, we're going to talk about Chicago uh, a little bit more than we usually do because we have a great guest. We have Bob Wislow, who is a local legend, a national legend, and uh, we have him on to talk about his Fulton East project, which is the first major office building that's being opened, uh, post COVID-19. And so, uh, there's a lot of really interesting things about this building that, uh, are relevant and are interesting. It's been featured in Forbes. It's going to be on ABC. It's going to be in a variety of different, uh, national, uh, and international, uh, publications. And so we want Bob to come on the show, but, uh, Bob, welcome. And, um, I also just want to hear a little bit about, sometimes I do an introduction of folks, but I just really enjoyed hearing uh, your introduction and kind of your journey through your career yesterday. So if we could start there, I think that that, everyone would really appreciate that.
1: Well, thanks, Phil. I'm, I'm actually checking my Apple Watch for my Pulse right now because I thought legends are normally dead people, but I see a Pulse, so I think I'm okay.
0: I think living legends is a thing. I think I'm pretty sure that's a
1: thing. I think that's a thing. Okay. So I am the CEO and chairman of a company called Parkside Realty uh, based here in Chicago. And a little bit of background I'm born and bred Chicagoan, as is my wife. Neither of us have ever lived outside of the city limits except for the time we were at college. My background in real estate started in 1971. Uh, when I joined a company, uh, and along with seven other people, um, was uh, lucky to be part of the group that started LaSalle Partners, uh, which has become Jones Land LaSalle, the second largest real estate firm in the world. Uh, and in 1978, um, I formed my own firm, U.S. Equities Realty, along with my partner, Camille Joly, Um a, a wonderful wonderful guy who was raised in Switzerland uh, and um, has been a real estate professional his entire career. Um, We built U.S. Equities Realty into an international real estate services business. We became the largest privately owned commercial real estate firm in the city of Chicago. We did projects, major development projects uh, in of course, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Santiago, Chile, uh, and Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, mainly doing work for large international corporations. And our service business did business in all 50 states in the United States. And here in Chicago, uh, we did the management, redevelopment, renovation, and leasing of projects like the John Hancock Building uh, and Sears Tower, Willis Tower, which, which we named We renamed Willis Tower when we moved Willis into the building. We merged our company uh, about six years ago in with CBRE, which is the largest real estate firm in the world. And we merged in our 425 people in the CBRE. We had a wonderful, wonderful five-year experience at CBRE. uh, And Camille and I decided we're both in our 70s. Uh, and decided that the rest of our career, we wanted to concentrate on expanding the real estate portfolio of buildings that we own, uh, as well as developing new buildings, uh, and also buying and renovating buildings for our own portfolio, where we would provide our own management, leasing, development, and financing services. Uh, and that's what we're doing today.
0: Oh, fantastic. And... Uh... You know, tell us about Parkside Realty and the buildings that Fulton East most specifically, but also kind of your vision for what types of buildings you'd like to to build.
1: Sure. So Parkside Realty, uh, again, manages the buildings that we have an ownership interest in. 600 West Fulton, which was probably the earliest loft building renovation, uh, renovated from a manufacturing loft type building into a wonderful office building. Um, 500 Davis Street in Evanston, um, Metro Market, which is the development that is ground level underneath the elevated tracks at the Ogilvie Transportation Center, uh, which houses the French Market in it, which is one of our developments, um, mm-hmm. 840 North Michigan, which is where uh, H&M and the Verizon store are, a building that was our first building that we ever bought as U.S. Equities Realty. Um, we demolished that building and, and built the. Uh, if you remember, the FAO Schwartz store was originally in that building. Uh, Twenty North Michigan, the headquarters of Illinois State Medical Society, six eighteen South Main in Ann Arbor, uh, and two seventeen um, Jackson, another building that we that we manage. Uh, and our company is currently doing its first ground up development which is a building that we call Fulton East, which is located at 215 North Peoria Street. Um, Peoria Street uh, is a north-south street that's located between uh, Fulton Market and Lake Street. That building that's under development is a 12-story office building. It has 5,000 square feet of retail on the ground floor, three levels of enclosed parking, and eight stories of office space for 85,000 square feet. And it's crowned at the top with an 8,000 square foot outdoor park.
0: Which is really cool. I actually, I have this uh, children's book. It's about building parks on top of buildings and how they turn this old city that was very industrial into a green city. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that, but in a, in a very good way. We might edit that part out, but uh, I just I'd like
1: to get a copy of that book for my grandkids. So <laughs> I'll you do that. I'd love it.
0: I'll do that. I forget what it's called right now, but I'll send it to you. Um, so- you know, I'm
1: involved with the Chicago Public Library Foundation. I'm chairman of that foundation. And we started something when the pandemic started because people couldn't go to the library, so we decided to bring the library to them. And we created something called Live from the Library, in which we have wonderful Chicago personalities reading children's book to children over the internet, and we'll be televising these as well. We'd love to add that book. We've had the Obamas read a book, Oprah Winfrey, um, the mayor, uh, and lots of actors, sports, uh, you know, famous sports, Chicago sports people um, love to add that book to the reading.
0: I'll, I'll do that. My my mom is the director of the DeKalb County Public Library, um, and so libraries are near and dear to me. So that's. We'll have to do a whole other podcast on libraries, but that, that's oh, great. <laughs>
1: that's great. Well, we developed and then managed for many, many years, CBRE still manages at the Chicago Public, the Harold Washington Library, which is the largest municipal library in the United States. And we also developed the Evanston Library for the city of Evanston, the main library in downtown Evanston.
0: Yeah, those are gorgeous buildings. Let's talk about the Fulton East Project. So tell people uh, just about the Fulton Market area and and what you hope to achieve with this building that's getting a lot of national press right now?
1: So the Fulton Market area is now a designated uh, historic district in the city. Um, And what I can liken it to the most would be the Meatpacking District in New York, which I think people internationally recognize and understand. Two streets, Fulton Market Street and Randolph Street were really the markets here in Chicago. From the turn of the century, from the turn of the, you know, 19, 1800s to 1900s. Um, Randolph Street, um, and Fulton Street, Fulton had mainly the meat and fish, uh, poultry, uh, types of businesses and Randolph had more of the vegetable, um, businesses, egg businesses, et cetera. Um, when my wife and I were first married, we had one of those garage co-ops where one couple each week would go buy the food for about 25 uh, families and bring it to our garage. And we would go to the Fulton Market because that was the best place you could get fresh produce, you know, fish and meats. Um, And so that area, a a company called Sterling Bay, bought an old cold storage building, a multi-story cold storage building. The Actually, the building my grandfather worked in when he immigrated from Russia to Chicago, uh, and they they de-iced the building, which took a long time to do because this building had been, you know, probably a hundred years, a cold storage building. De-iced the building, converted it into an office building and attracted Google to the building, which really helped to kick off the Fulton Market area. Uh, and subsequent to that, uh, Fulton Market has been the tech market magnet for the city of Chicago. Um, McDonald's relocated its world headquarters into Fulton Market, uh, Glassdoor is there, Aspen Dental, um, you know, major tech companies who look to Chicago, in, in, in McDonald's case, world headquarters. Mondelez has also moved its world headquarters in directly across the street from the building we're building on Peoria Street. Um, and then also second headquarters or headquarters 2s. Um, you know, Chicago being such a, a strong global city uh, that people who are located in headquarters on the east or west coast often look for a second headquarters type location. Uh, and Fulton Market is the perfect place for people to do that.
0: And so with this uh, Fulton East project, it, tell us about this building. And I can't wait for you to tell everyone about all the the very cool technology that you've – A lot of people right now, I talk to a lot of people um, at various companies about what office is going to look like in the future and what people and companies needs are going to be and how to how to improve the situation that we find ourselves in with COVID-19 and just contagious disease in general. Uh, So tell us about what you've done with this building.
1: So at the beginning of our decision to develop this building as our first project under Parkside Realty, uh, we felt that the Fulton Market area was ready for a high-end boutique office building. Um, Many of the buildings that were built in Fulton Market, new buildings that were built and the large warehouses that were renovated into office space were built on the premise of having very, very large floor plates, 30, 35, 40, 45,000 square foot floor plates So companies could, you know, put a large amount of people in these very large spaces, uh, which is a trend that was happening in this country. But in Fulton Market, while that was happening with the newer buildings uh, and the large warehouses that were being renovated, uh, there were a few developers who took some smaller, older buildings. Let's say a floor plate of ten thousand square feet. um, Figure that's a a floor plate that holds between, depending on density. If it's a law firm, 55 or 60 people. And if it's a denser space, maybe up to 90 to 100 people. uh, give you an idea what 10,000 square foot floor plate is. Mm-hmm. So some of these buildings that existed in the area were these smaller floor plate buildings. And they were very successfully renovated uh, and, and then leased up uh, to people like Knoll, who moved their Chicago showroom and offices from the merchandise mart into Fulton into Market into one of these smaller 10,000 square foot floor plate buildings. But these were in older renovated buildings, uh, which meant that they had limited amount of windows because they're brick buildings that had what are called punched windows in the brick. Uh, and they, because they were older type construction, have a, a lot of columns inside the space. Uh, We saw the success that some of these smaller buildings had in this big market. We felt that there would be a trend for people to look for smaller floor plates where one company could control its entire floor, or a company might want to take three floors but put separate divisions on those floors. Uh, So we liked that trend towards a smaller floor, but we wanted to bring it to the market as a totally contemporary building, a building that was all glass on the exterior floor to ceiling to bring a tremendous amount of light into the space and a building that had very few columns inside the building because it used modern construction techniques. Um, so we acquired a site on Peoria Street. Uh, there was a site that's 10,000 square feet allowing us to build a building that each floor has 10,000 600 square feet on it. Um, And we felt that given where the world was and given that people were leasing on these very large floors where sometimes a 10,000 square foot tenant would be on a floor with four or five other tenants who were sharing that floor. And they had to share washrooms. They had to share corridors. They had a limited amount of glass because there'd be solid walls dividing them from the tenant on the other side of the wall. So our idea was to design a building along the principles of biophilic design. Biophilic design emanates from a Greek word that means bringing nature inside. And the concept behind biophilic design uh, is to provide every occupant with the building some kind of light view and air to the outside and bringing a way to bring nature into a building. And so the way we achieved this is we did the small floor plates, as I said, 10,600 square feet. Uh, we offset the core of the building. And by that, I mean the elevator core and the washrooms that you often see in the middle of an office building floor plate. We moved to the south side of the building so we could have an entirely open floor, an all glass facade floor to ceiling so if you're standing on that floor you can have views every direction you look 360 degrees uh, and you have a tremendous amount of light and air and views in the space again bringing this light and air in and there's many many studies that show that uh, people have better wellness um, better attendance higher productivity and better job enjoyment when they are in a biophilic design building that brings in lots of light in the air. So in addition to that, by bringing nature inside, on each one of these floors, every floor of the building, we have a 27-foot by 9-foot balcony for outdoor space. So every tenant has its own outdoor, you can say conference room, because 9 by 27 makes a very good-sized conference room. Um, So we have this glass box in the middle of Fulton Market, but we didn't want the building to be like a sore thumb sitting in this wonderful historic area. Uh, So what we did is we put a grid on the outside of the building uh, where each floor plate, uh, each floor would be seen through this glass, each um, slab of the floor. uh, And we did, an extruded aluminum replica of the cast iron buildings uh, that were done at the time when Fulton Market was was built and you may you may know those cast iron buildings that have been restored and renovated in New York um, so we put an entire grid on the outside of the building of this of this black extruded aluminum grid uh, and in addition to that because there's a lot of timber that was used in the buildings in Fulton Market at the turn of the century um, we We put on the south side core of the building uh, where there would be a concrete wall where the elevators run up and down the building. We clad that core in a very sustainable product uh, that's manufactured in Spain called Prodima. And Prodima is sustainably harvested wood, which is encased in an all-weather Bakelite casing uh, that protects it from from weather so that it can be used on the exterior of the building. So basically a big piece of the south side of this building is this wonderful wood uh, expression um, combined with this cast iron look uh, that surrounds the building on a grid-shaped building. Um, And then in addition to that, along the biophilic design principles, uh, we created an 8,000 square foot garden on our rooftop. Uh, And in addition to that, We took one of our fire stairs, a typical building has two fire escape stairs in it. uh, And we located one of those fire stairs along the exterior wall of the building. And we put windows in that fire stair to bring natural light into the stair. So that if a tenant wants to use more than one floor in our building, they can access their multiple floors through this natural light-filled fire stair. And then each door uh, leading to each floor has a security system on it, so only that tenant has access to the floor. So that was all in the basic design of the building. So we had started off with a building that had the principles of wellness, health, uh, and occupant satisfaction in the building through the biophilic design principles. Then when this pandemic hit in March, our building was scheduled for completion in July. Uh, We took a very quick pivot. It's, it's our concept that as developers, we have a fiduciary responsibility to when we bring a building to the market, we know that building will be there for a long period of time. So it's our responsibility at the time we bring a building to market to have everything in that building that is as up to date and future looking as possible. And of course, one of those future looking things that is going to happen to tenants moving in a new building today is how are we addressing the issues of the COVID-19 pandemic and this has made people very aware of health and safety in buildings. How is the building addressing situations like this in the future? So we just did a fast pivot and immediately began to research everything we possibly could in the marketplace about how to make buildings as safe and as healthy as possible given this type of pandemic. Um, and so we began looking at the the most challenging parts of buildings. So we first attacked the elevator system. Um, not a pleasant thought, uh, but we, we learned that elevator buttons are the most germ-infected part of a building, 40 times the pathogen, pathogens, germs, and viruses as a toilet seat. Sorry for the analogy, but that's the studies that we found. Yes, I know.
0: I haven't, I haven't said gross often on this podcast, but yeah, I think that, I think it applies it, it here. It is
1: gross. I'm sorry to use the analogy, but it is, it is the analogy, though. and there are multiple studies that show this. So we quickly attacked the elevators. So we had already installed to be a very cutting edge building uh, in our elevators, a glass panel iPad type device that allows the elevator to be controlled from that. And the reason we have done that under a biophilic design is glass is a very easy surface to clean as, a, as opposed to metal or plastic elevator buttons. And uh, it gave us the opportunity to have an interactive elevator command center where our tenants could just, you could just have the names. We have eight floors, um, you know, so if Ice Miller was on the type, top floor, uh, it could just say Ice Miller, it doesn't have to say 12th floor. Uh, And we can change this and we can put art on the screen. So, you know, a very advanced looking design we had in the building. And this system was designed by an amazingly creative team uh, out of Canada called MAD Elevator Concepts. M-A-D in all caps. Uh, And these people are a bit mad. Um, And we knew that they were leading edge elevator people. We held a little think tank session among our employees to say, what can we do with elevators? And we started coming up with ideas. Maybe we could do ultraviolet lights in the elevators to kill germs. And as we went down that path, we quickly found that you can't have ultraviolet lights where people are present because they're dangerous, especially to the eyes. Um, We talked about having voice control, but we quickly learned that because there's so many different accents, uh, voice control in an elevator system is just not working yet today. We talked about having control from your Telephone or your cell phone, um, but learn that there are people working on that, but no system is actually working today. And then it was my daughter in one of these sessions said, How about if we could have buttons you could touch with your toe? <laughs> so I took these four ideas and I called uh, the chief development officer at Mad Elevator, who we worked with when we bought our pad for the building. And I said, Hey, we got some crazy ideas. Maybe some of these could be money making for you. And here's our ideas. Could you help us with any of these in the elevator? And he started laughing and said, "You know, we're researching all those ideas ourselves. Some of those we'll still continue to work on. Others we put to the side." But he said this whole thing. He said, "We are just bringing to the market. We will we will talk to you about this on a confidential basis because no one can know about it. But in the next four weeks, we're going to announce." what we call our tow-to-go elevator button system. And it is an amazing device. Uh, what it is, is if you could imagine at the baseboard um, outside your elevator, if you're in the hall and you want to call the elevator, you know where the elevator call button is on the wall between the elevators. If you look down at the baseboard, this is two rocker switches. Imagine the accelerator pedal in your car two rocker switches, one for up and one for down, that you just touch with your toe to call the elevator. And when you get in the elevator, at the baseboard of the elevator, is a series of rocker switches that have each floor number on it. And you just touch that rocker switch with your toe, and up you go or down you go to the floor that you're looking to get to. So Otis Elevator is currently installing these in our elevators. Our elevators were all done already. Uh, We spent the money to to retrofit the elevators to put these in. And we will be the first new construction building in the world to have this system in the building. Um, They did do a beta test of a smaller, shorter residential building in Miami, an existing building. But uh, we, because we caught them at the right time, uh, we got their first order. Um, They had originally designed this system, if you can imagine how much room there is at the base of an elevator to just handle eight-story buildings. Uh, but because we're 13 stories, they have custom-made uh, this panel force for the inside of the elevator. Uh, and as I said, this is the first time Otis has ever put one of these in an elevator because it's the first ever, and it is being installed right now. Uh, and is is a really, I don't know, I guess I can call it a really sexy, foolproof, simple solution to have people not have to touch an elevator button.
0: Yeah, no, it's extremely cool. It, you know, it's something as simple, you know, the basic. We've been doing this with uh, kitchen trash cans for years, where you yep. use your little foot. And it's it's the same kind of idea, just applied, you know, much greater technology and um, and a different use. It's it's really fascinating.
1: It's brilliant in its simplicity and its ease of operation. Uh, it's just absolutely brilliant, and then of course. We still have the touchpad inside the elevator and the buttons on the outside. Uh, if there's a handicapped person in a, in a wheelchair who can't touch the pad, we we still have that. Um, and the other thing about a building like ours with the biophilic design principles and the fact that we're only a 12-story building uh, and the fact that the first three levels of parking um, is that people can still walk to their floor if they want. All right? If people don't want to get in an elevator and want to walk to their floor, they can do that. Um, and especially the people who park in the parking deck because you're already up either two, three or four floors up in the building and you just have a few floors to walk up or down uh, um, into the building. So that that's the first thing that we attacked in the building, Phil. OK. Um, the second thing is, is everybody is talking about air in the building. How are these viruses transmitted? Everybody's wearing masks, obviously, because these viruses are transmitted in the air. How long do these droplets last? How much do they spread in the building when you have uh, an HVAC, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning system that relies on air distribution and fans? Are you blowing these droplets around the space? And and how do you protect the space? So we started looking at all of the the known things in the market to protect space. And, And those included things like the electrostatic precipitation, ionizers, You know, ultraviolet germicidal eradicators, photocatalytic oxidation, and plasma systems. And we looked at all these electronic air cleaning kind of ideas. We looked at the filters that you use in a building, you know, just like filters on your home HVAC system, you know, commercial buildings, office buildings have big filters. Those filters are based off of a rating called a MERV rating, uh, which is the density of the filter. Uh, and the higher MERV rating, the smaller particles that can get trapped by the filter. Uh, and we know that most office buildings are going to filter as, as high as they can. Um, but even the best filters on the market uh, and the kind of filters they use in hospitals can't filter the particles of a virus that are smaller than those filters. So we said we needed to find something. All the research we did in each of these we basically stumbled across a company called AirFix, A-I-R-P-H-X. This is a company that's, I think about three and a half years old, that has a patent on a non-thermal plasma system. Uh, And what this system does and what makes it so unique is like other air filtration systems, it brings the air and sucks the air into the system. It puts it through a plasma system that drops out, kills, uh, and eliminates viruses, bacteria, mold, pathogens, and and odors even uh, in space. Um, but in addition, what this system does is it then, as a as it sends out cleansed air back into the space, but as a byproduct of this process, uh, it sends out a gaseous form. Of hydrogen peroxide and you know hydrogen peroxide is a great cleaning agent yeah a very low low density less than 0.03 percent concentration of hydrogen peroxide gas form comes out of this system but the beautiful thing about a gas form of hydrogen peroxide is it attaches to and is attracted to horizontal and vertical surfaces so this gas form goes out and attracts to these surfaces and kills the viruses pathogens and bacteria on surfaces so from our research this is the only system we could find anywhere in the world that both cleanses the air and cleanses surfaces now we found this system through hospitals that use these systems Uh, and all their advertising is really focused on hospitals surgical centers dental clinics uh, surgery rooms where, you know, it cleans the surgical equipment. Uh, and also, there are a number of major universities who use these systems in their athletic facilities, you know, where their training rooms are uh, and their um, their medical rooms for people on team sports, uh, where those rooms oftentimes are filled with lots of bacteria. Uh, and I believe we will be you know, the first... Um, multi-story office building in the world to install this system throughout the entire building. Uh, The hospital system uh, that has had this installed for 18 months, they began testing it two years ago and installed 40 of these units 18 months ago, the Geisinger Hospital System out east. uh, I talked to the head of facilities there, uh, and he had just finished installing four additional systems in their COVID ward area. Um, He said that This system in their field tests, not in laboratory tests uh, where you don't have field conditions and it's easy to show that you kill pathogens, but in actual field tests, they're finding the reduction of their pathogen and bacteria and virus rates anywhere from 94 to 99% um, effectiveness. And the interesting thing, not even having anything to do with COVID, is he's installed One of these machines in the administrative offices where his um, facility management team sit, and he's installed one of them in the waiting room of the emergency department where all really sick people come in. Mm -hmm. And in the last year, they've had almost no incident of cold or flu among their staff who work in those particular areas. So we look at this as something that isn't going to just help in this post-COVID area, Uh, But something that's going to help the wellness of the building on an ongoing basis.
0: Incredible, incredible!
1: What a find! Yeah, terrific find. We just installed our first our first machine uh, on on the top floor of our building on Monday, and we'll be we're we're, we'll have all the rest of them on order. They're making some custom sized machines for our building, and we're not only going to install this here, uh, we're installing this in all the common areas of all our buildings, uh, and we'll install it on. Tenant floors where tenant would like this machine in you know, all of our buildings. Uh, we think we're onto an amazing find. And by way of us installing this machine, one of the people who works on our project also works on some major casinos um, for a Chicago-based casino owner. And they are already installing large versions of these machines in their casinos right now, today. That's um, great. So um, this this company I think is gonna be an, a, an amazing business.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Um, well, tell us about the what you're doing with the uh, touchless fob system.
1: Uh, so oftentimes people use a key fob, a plastic key fob or a card, looks like a credit card, for your security access in your building, uh, for you to get in the front door during the non-business hours when the concierge isn't at the front desk, to be able to turn the elevator on during the hours your elevator is turned off and to get into the door of your, your space during non-business hours. And that you, you have to touch your fob or touch your card to the device. Um, we found a device that allowed us to be an inch and a half away from the point of access that you want to get into uh, and not have your FOB or your card touch the device. And that's what you and I talked about, Phil, um, Mm -hmm. when we had our our discussion prior to this. Um, Yesterday, after we talked to you, we made a firm commitment to even change that system. So we previously had a typical FOB system in our building, We changed to this touchless system that you and I talked about. Uh, And yesterday, uh, a company that is one step beyond that, which allows you to put your access code into your mobile phone or your mobile watch device and be up to a full meter or three feet away to activate and open that door for you or turn on the elevator. Uh, for you uh, called Kisa, K-I-S-I. And they had read about our building uh, in the Forbes article. And so they contacted us with this state-of-the-art device that they've got created. Uh, and we actually went one step further uh, and yesterday committed to putting this device into our building. So now our tenants can have a choice. The people who want to have a fob that would be a touchless fob can have that touchless fob. But the people uh, who do carry a cell phone or use a, a watch device uh, can have their access to the building control that device. And from three feet away, uh, it will open the door for you uh, or turn on the elevator for you. Um, in addition to that device, we're handling the access to our building in non-building hours. So for off hours, evenings and weekend hours. Um, So that when a visitor comes to a building, uh, we've made it very easy for that visitor to come to your floor. We have a system called a butterfly system, which is an intercom system at the front door of the building. So if you're expecting a visitor, you can send them an access code to their phone. They come to this butterfly system and they activate the access You, on your phone, will get a call from that butterfly system, and you'll see who's standing at the front door. You can determine if it's the visitor that you wanted to come in, and you can give them access to the building. The door will open without the person touching the door. They'll have 45 seconds to go to the elevator, which is plenty of time. The elevator door will open for that person. They will get in. The elevator floor that you are giving that person access to will turn on without the person touching the button, and it'll take them up to the floor. So the visitor also does not have to touch a button in the elevator and will get touch-free access into the building. That
0: is awesome. Because, uh, you know, we've all had that experience where we go to someone else's building, a client or just a contact, and we try to get up, and that, but you have to walk into the building. There's a couple touch points there. You got to wait in line for security. You have to check in, you have to show your ID, you know, pre COVID, it was annoying, but now post COVID it's uh, a little harrowing. And so, you know, having that technology where you're just automatically, you know, connecting with somebody up there and let you in uh, without it. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's really a fantastic device. And then of course we've done the typical touchless washroom you know, high-end buildings are doing today. We've gone with the Sloan system. You know, Sloan is you know Sloan is one of the three oldest companies in Chicago, uh, oh. and they started the company on Lake Street, not that far from where our building is. Later, moved to Jackson, and and now they're in uh, right near the airport, in a suburb right near the airport. Um, but one of Chicago's three oldest companies, amazing story, um, and you know, the largest worldwide supplier of. Of bathroom equipment. So we have their totally touchless system. So it's touch touchless flush valves on the toilets and urinals, touchless water faucets and touch touchless soap dispensers. But in addition, Sloan has a wonderful product for their china. So for the toilets, the urinals, the wash basins, they have a coating on them called Sloan Tech. Uh, and Sloan Tech is a hyperallergenic coating, which again kills pathogens that touch the China surface and protect the China surface. So we've gone with the entire Sloan line so that we could get the highest level of protection in our washrooms. In addition, our washrooms were all painted, built and ready to go uh, when the pathogen happened. So in our research of what hospitals are doing, we came across a product, a paint product by Sherwin-Williams Paint Company. And it's the only paint product on the market that actually kills pathogens uh, on contact, um, uh, pathogens that make contact with a painted surface. And this paint product is called Paint Shield, S-H-I-E-L-D. Uh, and we repainted, we spent the money to repaint all our washrooms, it takes two coats because there's a special layer in between these coats that gets cap- captured that, that does this uh, killing of the pathogens. Uh, and then we as a building owner have to reapply another surface of this every four years, which we will commit to doing our building. So um, it it is making our washrooms just that much that much safer and that much that much more hygienic.
0: This is so cool. Bob, I, I always say that being a developer is the hardest job in real estate because you have to have the financial skills to understand how the money is going to work and understand the charts and the projections you have to have um, some social skills in order to, to get investors you have to have the vision to see how it's done and you have to have building expertise to understand the actual construction and how it's going to get done it's it's a rare combination of like all of the skills necessary in, in real estate and it kind of pulls it all into one but now you're like a scientist. I, you're you're adding another layer of complexity, which is innovation and, and scientists. I'm I'm imagining you tucked away in your house um, during quarantine, just just researching uh, frantically and you know just thoroughly of all these different things that are out there.
1: Yeah, I will tell you that during the first three weeks of the pandemic, I was on the internet researching things until you know one or two in the morning virtually every night uh tons of dead ends um we hired um a hygienist um a hygienist consultant uh to analyze uh especially the airfix system uh to compare it to the other things in the market in the marketplace cuz you know w- what do i know from these scientific reports that we were given by airfix how do i know how to analyze these to understand them uh, so you know hardest job in real estate i think it's those guys on the construction site that you know are working through every kind of weather you know cold hot uh i watch those guys and i admire them tremendously but you know when you talk about a developer i when people ask me what explain your job i just say to them think about a movie producer so a movie producer is the guy uh, that pulls together, think of him as a hub in the middle of a spoke wheel, and he pulls together fantastic experts in every area that has anything to do with producing a movie. You know, it's the director, it's the cinematographer, it's the actors, it's the financiers, it's the the grip boy and all the other things, the screenwriters, all the other things necessary. And he sits in the middle and tries to get all of these people to work together cooperatively to make the best possible movie. That's really what a developer does. And, you know, from our standpoint, we've just got an amazing team on this building. Uh, We have Lamar Johnson Collaborative as our main architect for the building. Um, And they are working with Clayco. Um, And Clayco is a construction company that has moved its headquarters from St. Louis to Chicago, about 10 years ago and become one of the nation's largest design build contractors uh, and they're overseeing the construction um, we the lobby on this building in our through 40year history uh, in this city we always believe that lobbies of office buildings should not be like an office building lobby but should be like the lobby of a peninsula or four seasons five-star hotel yeah um, give our clients that kind of benefit and we did that when we changed the lobby at Hancock and changed the lobby of Willis Tower and changed the lobby at 150 North Michigan. We've probably done 30 major lobby, lobby renovations or construction in our lifetime. When we did this building, we realized that Fulton Market is not like a typical office building market. These people treat their space more like their home or their residence than they do an office because they work all hours of the day, they work all hours of the weekend, They bring their dogs to work. You know, it's more residential. So we engaged Holly Hunt, uh, who you probably know is one of Chicago's most famous interior designers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We engaged Holly Hunt to work with Lamar Johnson Collaborative to design the lobby of our building. And she is just doing an amazing lobby to us, you know, doing a lot of uh, nodding of the um, to the Fulton Market area and what was in that area before um, so bringing mid-century designs, bringing a beautiful Italian porcelain that looks like a very rare marble into the building uh, and some beautiful artwork into the lobby and giving it a residential feel. Um, so the the team we've been able to pull together on this uh, has been really terrific. Uh, and, and that's what my job as a developer is, uh, is to get the opportunity to work with a great team like this and run and manage that team.
0: Well, Bob, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about your labor of love. It, it's obvious to me how much you care about these buildings that you create and how much you care about um, doing the best job that you can do. I think, you know, hopefully you've made something really, really special and forward thinking that can be applied uh, to many other buildings going forward. And you've used this uh this really difficult situation in our lives to kind of to push, push the envelope on, on what you can do in these buildings?
1: Well, I'm thrilled I had the opportunity to do this. And, and I have to say that, um, you know, I know a lot of people are getting crazed being housebound, but I have been just totally energized by this. Um, you know, at this, this stage in, in, in our career, it gives us an opportunity to bring some new products to the market that, you know, I think you're going to see lots of people um, using, you know, throughout the country. Uh, as their buildings open, not just for this particular COVID incident, but you know for the ongoing you know health and wellness of people in buildings. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and, and I'm really appreciative of you having an interest in this and giving us an opportunity to talk to you about our building.
0: Of course. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Bob. Thank you very much. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice the listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the
1: listener's specific circumstances